It is, like I said, absolutely crazy to think that Thanksgiving and Christmas are just around the corner. I cannot believe that. Lots of events. Uh, I love our Christmas parade here in Red Bluff. Anybody ever go to that? Yeah, it's great. I love, I love it. Um, every year our church is like, we should, do a, we should do a float. And then we say, that's too much work. <laughs> yeah, there's one. Oh, you guys, you, you guys should totally do it. You guys should do it. We, would, we will prayerfully support you. Um, so uh, how many of you, here's what I really want to know, is how many of you are absolutely done buying all the Christmas presents you need for the year? Just, are you serious, Mark O'Sullivan? <laughs> okay, in other words, Linda has purchased all of it. No? Mark's done? That's absolutely crazy. All right. How many of you wait until Christmas Eve? There are the good Christian people in this room. That is what I would like to just confirm. That is absolutely me too. Um, what I love about this time of year, though, there's two times of the year that I do absolutely love. I love the Advent season, and I also love the Easter season. And part of the reason why I do is because what I've observed over the last 25 years of ministry is that people are really open to Jesus and church around those times. Um, and so I, I really think it's important for us as a church to realize that, you know, people are, and this is true, there's been numerous studies that have been done, these polls, people are more likely to visit a church for the first time in the season of Christmas, Advent season, and then also during Easter. And so uh, a phrase that I like to always say is that people are always one invitation away from encountering God, meaning that Everybody in this room was invited at one point in time into some space where you encountered Jesus. There are no people, you might think that you woke up and you were born a, a Christian, but that's not how it works, right? Everybody in here, who here would agree that you were invited in some way, shape, or form into the life of the kingdom, right? So people are always one invitation away from encountering God and having their lives changed. Um, but the other thing about the holidays this is good and bad, is there are a lot of family gatherings around this time. Um, and fa family events are either absolutely amazing or not. They are either absolutely awesome or they're super, super stressful. And I'm, I'm just feeling like getting the pulse of the church is important this morning. So how many of you agree that family gatherings are absolutely amazing? Okay, now, now how many of you are honest and believe that family gatherings are super, super stressful? Okay, all right, just checking. You're both, okay, yeah. Depends on which family members you're at, right? If it's at the in-laws, absolutely terrible. If it's at mom and dad's, wonderful, wonderful. Um, so it's interesting because, you know, this time of year, there's all these different family things that are going on, and I've been thinking about that the last month, and um, one of our teaching team members, Terry Rapley, everybody knows Terry Rapley. Um, yeah, Terry is great. Guess what she's doing today? She's preaching at the Methodist Church in Red Bluff. Yeah. I'm like, oh, we got a little speaking circuit going on? She, she does, which is so great. We're, in, we're so proud of her. But we were talking and just about how, you know, we, we do need, I think, tools and resources as followers of Jesus to be able to share our faith. And during this season, we're in all these different spaces uh, with family members. And I believe that probably the most challenging space to share our faith is with those that are closest to us, 
oftentimes. Um, and there's a variety of different reasons. And so for this month, what we're doing is we are we're going to have this sermon series that we're, we're calling Bringing Jesus Home. And we're talking about sharing our faith with those who are closest to us. And it doesn't have to just be our, our you know, family members, our brothers, sisters, cousins, aunts, uncles, grandparents. It can also be the, the people who you know, are friends that are close and they're basically like family members. And, and the thing about sharing our faith with our family is there are challenges in that department. There's a lot of different challenges, actually, um, that I've thought and heard about over the years. And one of them uh, that we oftentimes experience is that my family has seen me at my worst. They have seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, mostly the bad and the ugly, right? Um, And everybody in this room probably uh, can agree with that. Let's face it, our family members have seen us at our worst. Um, We have, you know, uncles and aunts who have changed our diapers and who babysat me. I I have a lot of family members. Uh, My my dad had three younger brothers, and they all babysat me when I was a kid, and I was quite terrible, apparently, because they always remind me of that. Um, Another, I think another challenge when it comes to sharing our faith with family is, is, is this, what if my uncle asks me a question that I don't know the answer to? Like, what if they, they ask me, how can a loving God, a God who loves everybody, allow all the evil and the suffering in the world? And we're, we're like a deer in the headlights, and we don't quite know how to maybe answer that question. Or, you know, a common question that some people who, are, who, uh, who have been influenced by certain philosophers and, and, and thinkers is, you know, well, how do you know the resurrection happened? Christians believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. How do you know? What's the evidence for that? You know, and so that's a common, a common challenge that we have is we might feel like we have to know the answer to every single question that people have. Um, and lastly, I think a common one is my family will think I'm weird if I tell them about Jesus. <laughs> you know, and I have family members that, that that is a fear I have at times where I'm like, oh man, I, I have these insecurities. And part of this is because I'm a pastor. I always feel like because I'm a pastor, people think that I have to share my faith with them. So if I do talk to them about Jesus, I'm only doing it because I have to. Okay. And that's actually true. Just kidding. Uh, but oftentimes for me, the insecurity in this regard is related to, I don't want to be, as a, as a, as a Christian, I don't want to be lumped in with all the crazy conspiracy theory Christians out there who are super judgmental and kind of mean-spirited. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's like, I don't, want to, I don't want to make anybody feel like if I'm talking to them about Jesus that I'm part of that group, okay? And that's often why I've really liked the term, I'm a follower of Jesus, rather than saying I'm a Christian, because that term has so much baggage with it, as many other terms do as well. But one of the scariest words that we could talk about in the church, I think, is this super scary word of evangelism. That word seems to, in most churches, get people kind of like anxious and they start sweating because they feel like they're going to have to learn the four spiritual laws, memorize the Romans road, and then like share that with everybody in a really pressuring way. In fact, um, when I was growing up, I honestly thought that to do evangelism meant I had to purchase a bullhorn and I had to stand in a street corner and yell at people. Okay. Like I was like, oh, that's it. Have any of you ever experienced that though? Yeah, like I, I have here, and some of you know the story, I was on, Red, on Main Street in Red Bluff, just walking down the street one day, 
And some guy uh, started screaming at me like, and we were like five feet away from each other. So super awkward with his bullhorn. And he's like, do you know Jesus? And I kept trying to convince him that I know Jesus, but he looked at me and was convinced that I don't know Jesus. And I'm like, I'm actually a pastor. And he said, are you at one of them worldly churches? And I was like, I don't know how to answer this question. <laughs> you know, but like, it's not really all that helpful when we think about evangelism in the context of being, being, being needing to scream at people, right? So that word is what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about evangelism. And evangelism really is simply the practice of sharing the good news about Jesus. Okay? And, and, it, and that's all it means. Evangelism comes from two Greek words, and it means to share the good news. Um, but I, I feel like a part of the challenge is that I don't consider myself an evangelist. Like, is it true that most of us in this room would agree that we probably don't consider ourselves evangelists? Right? Maybe you don't know the difference. Like, to me, an evangelist is someone who, like, when they go to bed, like, they lay down, and they're sitting there, and they just start thinking of all the people that they know that don't know Jesus. You know, and they're making a list, and they're just praying for them, like, oh, Uncle Tommy, I just, I can't, I just want him to know Jesus, and my friend Cheryl, I want her to know Jesus, and they just, like, have this heaviness, and they really struggle with sleeping, whereas I go to sleep every night very, very well. Like, I don't have problems sleeping, okay? So I'm not an evangelist in that regard. And the other test, I think, is that evangelists go on an airplane, and they sit down, and they're like, oh, Lord, bring somebody to sit next to me. I want to share Jesus with them. Where I sit down, and I put my AirPods on immediately, and I look the other way. I'm like, please don't talk to me. Like, don't do it, right? And, and, and yet, at the same time, too, I do think that while not all of us are evangelists, I think that all of us have the responsibility of sharing our faith. That is how the kingdom expands and, and, and spreads uh, is as we do that. So this month, we're going to talk about some very practical ways for you to share your faith with those who are closest to you. That's going to be the, kind of the goal. And we're going to talk about some do's and don'ts, and we're going to look at some stories from Scripture. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to read a passage of Scripture, pray, and then we're going to talk about that passage for a few minutes. And what I want to do is read from Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 26. And so we're going to read this, and it's on the screen right here. We read, someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which one? Which ones? The man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother, love your neighbors as yourself. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven, then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, 
everything is possible. And so, Father, as we spend the next few minutes thinking about this passage and then looking to apply it into our lives, would you help us, Lord, to see you as the God of the impossible? That, Lord, as we think about how we can reach those we are closest to, those who maybe we feel insecure about talking to about Jesus, would you, by your Spirit, help us to, to do these things in a way that is both effective and, and winsome and would help people really to see Jesus for who he is. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now, I love this passage of scripture. I, I always have. I, I just, I love it. And, you know, as we just read, we see that obeying God's commandments, when Jesus is asked this question, we see that obeying God's commandments is an expression of faith. I think that's kind of the important thing to, to see there is that, you know, a lot of churches, uh, the big debate through the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s and the 1600s was how are people saved? And one church tradition um, positioned salvation connected to faith and works. And the Protestant Reformation, which our church kind of comes out of that lineage, um, emphasized this idea of salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And, and what that, what's happened, though, is over the years, it's kind of been dumbed down to where it's like, well, just raise your hand one Sunday and believe in your heart, and then the rest of your life you can do whatever you want. Um, and that's not good theology, okay? What we actually see is, is, is faith, saving faith, the kind of faith that actually leads to salvation is the kind of faith that actually changes the way that we live our lives. Like to say that we believe means that we have to actually evidence that by the way that we interact. And a great example, I think, is to, is to say that faith is also in the New Testament, in both um, the New Testament Greek and in the Old Testament Hebrew, faith and faithfulness are the same thing. They're the same thing. And so the way that, that Jesus answers this question, I think, helps us flesh this out to see that obeying God's commands is an expression of faith. Just like when people get baptized, they're not saved by that baptism, but what they are is they're expressing the faith that they have in Jesus. And so we see that here. And the point I think that Jesus is making when he says there's only one who is good is to point out that when we discover, as human beings, when we discover that God is good, we correspondingly realize that we are not. We also realize that we can't save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves, though we may try. We cannot earn God's salvation. And the second thing that I think that is happening here is that Jesus clearly knows that this man's wealth has become central to his personal identity and meaning and purpose in life. Okay? That's why Jesus, he's like poking a little bit. He said, oh, you kept all those commandments. How about this one? How about you give up that which is so central to your identity, your possessions, your money, your finances, your treasures? Elsewhere, Jesus says, where your treasures are, there your heart is also, okay? And so he's poking a little bit here because he knows that this man's wealth had become his idol. The God of his life was his possessions. So Jesus calls him to give everything away and exchange the God of wealth for the eternal treasure that is found in following Jesus. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. Um, you're like, oh, there's another pastor talking about money and finances. And I want to let you know that all over the U.S., pastors wake up so excited to talk about money in the morning. We're just like, I just can't wait to talk about the one thing that everybody hates. Okay? But I want to let you know something about the New Testament. This is an interesting fact. 
Jesus spoke more about economics and finances than any other subject except for the kingdom of God. So some of us would say, well, we need to just talk about heaven and hell. Jesus talked more about finances and economics than those two subjects. And here's why. I think it's been part of the human condition that as human beings, we get so attached to our possessions and our finances. And Jesus knew that. And he's constantly poking the bear saying, listen, your treasure needs to be me, right? Like we are called just to be stewards of the things that God blesses us with, okay? We're called to be stewards. And so Jesus is poking that bear right here. He's trying to help this young rich ruler understand discipleship. Discipleship is about surrendering all things to Jesus. We get to the point where we look at our life and we no longer put no trespassing signs over areas of our lives. We say, Jesus, it's all yours. Jesus, it's all yours. So ultimately, Jesus' answer to the question of what must I do to have eternal life is when he says, follow me. That is how it happens. But I think the primary point that I think this passage is making is this. Humanly speaking, if we take out the God equation, okay, if we just say humanly speaking, salvation is impossible. If we are left to our own devices, none of us will be saved. Your friends, your coworkers, your family members, everybody that you absolutely love, none of them can save themselves. It's absolutely impossible. But here's the good news. With God, all things are possible, including that crazy uncle you've got. Your crazy uncle can experience salvation. And that is the good news. I, I recently have been following this story. Um, some of you, this is going to be like, you're going to be like, I have no idea who that person is. But some of you may know this person named Kat Von D. Anybody ever heard of Kat Von D? Yeah, like some of us tattoo, I mean, I, tattoos, if you have tattoos, you're going to hell, but for everybody else, no, I'm just kidding, obviously. I hope you understand, I'm kidding. I made that joke once and somebody's like, I don't like that pastor. He said that if you have tattoos, you're going to hell. And I was like, that was a joke, right? Okay, thank you. Thank you, thank you, John, the one person in the room. All right, moving on. So Kat Von D is this like reality TV star who is a tattoo artist and is like really famous and has for a long time been super connected to the occult and witchcraft and Satanism and all that type stuff, okay? A couple weeks ago, she posted this video on her Instagram of her at this really small, beautiful church getting baptized because she's made the decision to follow Jesus. And when I watched it, yeah, I guess you can clap about that one. It's pretty cool. But like, I watched it and I was like, the first time I was like, oh, she's making fun of Christians again. You know, like there's got to be some, something. And then I've listened to her. She shared testimonies. Kat Von D is like someone who I would have said like three weeks ago, there's no possible way she could come to faith. Absolutely no possible way. She's too, she's too entrenched in darkness, you know? But with God, all things are possible, right? And so I think when we talk about our family coming to faith, we have to realize that. We have to realize that evangelism or sharing our faith, if that's a more helpful concept, it occurs in the realm of the miraculous. It occurs in the realm of the miraculous. If salvation is impossible without God, we have to realize that the absolutely greatest and most supernatural miracle that ever occurs on this planet is not people being raised from the dead, though that is absolutely amazing, 
The greatest miraculous supernatural thing is us coming to faith in Jesus. That is a miracle. And, and that's what the, Bi the Bible teaches all throughout the New Testament. And it's also established in the Old Testament is that we are dead in our sins. Like, I, I know none of you are going to get to heaven and you're going to stand before the Lord and you're going to say, I would like to praise myself for making the right decision to follow you, Jesus. I am worthy of glory, right? None of us are going to do that. We're going to stand before the Lord and we are going to praise him because of his mercy and his grace of awakening our hearts to see the beauty of Jesus. That's what's going to happen when we get to heaven, right? And so we have to realize that, it, it, that the greatest supernatural miraculous thing is that your heart was dead. Paul says that we are dead in our sins and trespasses in Ephesians chapter 2. But then after he, he establishes in like the first four or five verses, he says, you were dead. You were children of the devil. I'm like, dang, Paul, children of the devil. He's like, yeah, you're children of the devil. You actually like those things. And then it says, but God was rich in mercy. He was rich in mercy. And that is why you follow Jesus is because he works in us. And so we have to realize that evangelism occurs in the realm of the miraculous. God spiritually gives us life. The Holy Spirit opens our hearts to see Jesus for who he actually is. I don't know if you know this, but the book in the Bible called James, James was written by this man named James, and he was the half-brother of Jesus. And did you know that when Jesus was alive, James saw him and was like, nah, no, this is not, this is not the, the Messiah. In fact, I mean, it's kind of interesting because I think what happened is, is over time, after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, he has this awareness of who his brother is. I mean, I think most of his childhood, he was probably saying things like, little goody two-sandal Jesus never does anything, mom, right? I mean, he just did not see Jesus as being Stop laughing, it's true. This is like in the Bible. I'm not saying anything crazy, okay? He just didn't see him. But then after, the, after Jesus is crucified and he's resurrected, James, his, his eyes are awakened. Just like us when we come to faith in Jesus, okay? And so we have to realize this. Evangelism occurs in the realm of the miraculous. And if this is true, then the first key, the most practical thing that you can begin to do in regard to bringing Jesus home and sharing your faith with those that you love is this. We need to spend much more time praying for our family and close friends. We have to spend more time praying for our family and our close friends. Let's stand up together. And so I know that there's some of you in this room that like, you know, oh, prayer, I, mm, like, I don't really even do that much prayer. And maybe you don't even know what prayer is, but here, here's what prayer is. Prayer is really super simple. It's prayer is communication with God. Okay. And what I love about what I read scripture, what I see over and over again is that there's no Bible verse that says, when thouest prayest, you must use King James language. Okay, there's nowhere that says you have to like have really big fancy words. I mean, what I love is that you see in the Psalms, David just crying out to God. Like, God, where are you? 
I feel absolutely overwhelmed. The waters are up to my neck. Lord, save me. That is the most godly prayer that we can lean into at times, right? So prayer is communication with God. And it's two things. It's taking time to speak to God, but it's also taking time to listen to God, right? And so like everybody in here can talk to God. Everybody in here can do that. You can do it in the privacy of your home. You can do it when you're driving. You can do it when your spouse is driving. Some of you do a lot of prayer when your spouse is driving, right? You can do it at any point in time. But I want to I just tell you two things. These are two things I want to challenge us with this week, okay? Like we're talking about application. There's two things that I want us to do. We're going to take a moment right now. We're going to just pray. We're going to listen to God. Um, I want you to do this. I want to challenge you to identify three family members or close friends that you are going to pray for every day for the rest of the year, okay? There's two months, okay? It's not that long. In January, you can give up all your promises and go back to not praying at all, okay? But I, <laughs> that's the most unpastoral thing I've ever said. I guarantee you, though, after you prayed every day for two months, I bet you you're going to be like, wow, something's changed, okay? So I want to I challenge you for that. Identify three different family members or close friends that you're going to pray for. Write them down. Get a, get a notebook, write it somewhere, put it on your phone, do whatever. Have an alarm. You all have, if you have a Google phone, I don't know if you have this, but Apple phones that don't work very well, apparently, they have these things called alarms. Have the alarm go off at seven o'clock every morning, pray right now, and you pray for those people, okay? All right, that's the first thing. And the second one is this. I want you to identify someone who you think it's impossible and you're going to start praying for them, okay? Everybody in this room has somebody that you know, you're like, that's impossible. Good luck, God, right? Like, you could never get them, okay? And here's the reality. I used to be that person. When I was in school, I was the one voted most likely to be in jail forever, <laughs> okay? Like, there's, there's a lot of people in this room who were considered impossibles at one point in time. And then what happened? God enters into their lives and awakens their hearts. And one day, they experience grace and mercy in such a profound way that they can no longer turn their back away from Jesus, but they can only run toward Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Scripture. We thank you for this reminder that if anything in relation to spiritual life is left to us, we are hopeless. It's absolutely impossible. And yet we have scripture telling us that with God, all things are possible. So Lord, I pray that you would help us today and tomorrow and the rest of this week and every day until the end of this year to continue to pray for these three individuals who are in our family and friend circle and this other person who we think is impossible. Would you help us just to pray for them and to ask you to show yourself to them? And then I pray for everybody in this room. I pray that you would help each one of us to know how much you love us, to experience your grace and your mercy and your truth, and to help us live our faith out in a way that not only brings glory to Jesus, but is a blessing to the world around us. I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Folks, have a great week. I want to mention just a couple things. If you have kids, Go down there and relieve those workers. They probably have a bunch of things for you. Say hi to somebody. Don't run out. Grab some coffee. There is no more donuts. I ate them all. Goodbye. <laughs>